Hello, and welcome to the Nashville Sounding Board, the podcast dedicated to discussing social and political issues in the Nashville community. I'm your host, Benjamin Eagles. Views that I express on this podcast and on my social media accounts are mine alone and do not reflect the views of the Metropolitan Government of Nashville and Davidson County. My guest today is Mary Mancini, the chair of the Tennessee Democratic Party. Thanks so much, Mary, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. Just a little bit of background. I worked on your campaign, of course, in 2014 uh, when you ran the primary against Jeff Yarbrough for state senate. Mm -hmm. And uh, the following January. Well, thank you. (laughs) And then in January 2015, you were elected as party chair and you were just re-elected by a 48 to 19 margin uh, against Holly McCall. I was re-elected two years ago as well, so it's only two-year terms. Yes. Okay. So you're Just entering your third term. I am, yes. Am I jumping ahead? Is that I'm jumping no, ahead fine. of your interview? I'm sorry. That's totally fine. Wanted to start off, uh, before we kind of look towards the future, go over a little bit some of the critiques that you faced this round, which by my notes here, one that the party has become too Nashville-centric at the neglect of perhaps some of the rural areas, uh, so not enough rural engagement and support for those county parties and candidates. And then there was also mention of your salary, people suggesting that the salary was out of line, um, and just kind of general frustration with the party for not seeing more wins, I guess. What do you make of those of those critiques? Um, I think that there are other critiques uh, that may be more valid and that address some of the um, challenges that we have. However, I, I know how hard we've been working over the last four years, and, and I know how much we value the county parties and, and how much effort that we've put into engaging or working on engaging them in different ways. But if there are some county parties who are saying that they're not hearing us uh, or that that information that we're trying to put together for them or the trainings that we're doing for them is not working, then I hear that and I want to make sure that we fix that. So, um, So I think that that's a, you know, while I think that well, I know that we have been working really hard in engaging our county parties. If it's not working for every county party, then that's something that uh, we're going to work to address. Um, the salary thing, you know, I'm look, I, I think that that was a, uh, a a way in which some of the other candidates for chair could um, they they had kind of a talking point. And uh, the the reality is that this is a uh, I inherited that salary from my two predecessors and um both men yeah for what it's worth yeah yeah and and uh you know it i i think it's fair actually i think with with uh this is not an easy job you know and i'm not complaining because it's literally the best job i've ever had right like (laughs) literally it's it's an amazing job but but it is a tough job and it does it does uh i think that it's a fair I think it's a fair salary. It's certainly a demanding job, and it I understand the critique, but at the same time, if Democrats, if this was a blue state and Democrats were winning races right and left, 
I think there would be no mention of the salary. It's a very tough job. You want someone serious I think if, and I, committed, I, yeah, yeah, and experienced. Well, thank you, and and I am, and I appreciate that. And um, um, I think being in the uh, super minority in the state and being in a <laughs> being the Democratic Party chair in a state like this, um, where you do sort of become the lightning rod for everything that's wrong with everything in politics. Um, it, it's a hard job. It's a hard job. So this cycle, Democrats had really strong, well-funded, experienced candidates for U.S. Senate and for governor. But Bredesen couldn't come within 10 percent, and Dean lost by 20 percent. Going back to 2016, Hillary Clinton got less than 35 percent of the vote. Um, so this is a deeply red state. What's the path back to relevance for Democrats and um, because Holly McCall in your your challenger talked about this isn't a quick turnaround. This this is a twenty year, basically <laughs> effort to turn yeah. Tennessee blue again. It's actually yeah. Well, it is, and that was kind of the irony uh, of that of of Holly's uh, challenge because when I took over this job in four years ago, I actually said this. I you know I said this is a marathon, not a sprint. The Republicans didn't get to where they are overnight. It took them 30 years to, to become the majority party in the state. And it's going to take us uh, as many, especially since they redistricted us in, into oblivion in 2012. And so the, that's always been the path forward is to make incremental gains. It's, it's, I also said, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So it's always been the path forward at, to make incremental gains um, and to build a bench from the ground up, right, to encourage Democrats to run at every level of government, to flood the field and run as many Democrats as possible, um, to then target the seats that we have the most chance of winning based on what data tells us. Uh, so, you know, the other, the other critique I heard was, um, you know, while, while it was all well and good that we had all of these candidates uh, – to run for office, you know, we really need to focus on just a few. And, um, and the other ironic thing is is that that's not those things are not mutually exclusive, right? You can actually run as many candidates as possible because things happen, and you know, you never know when you're going to uh, get lightning in a bottle. Uh, but the other part of that is, as you get closer to the election, you know, you you get a clearer picture of where. You should put your resources, uh, your your hard dollar resources, and we make those decisions in conjunction. Luckily, we have a great working relationship with the chairs of the House and Senate caucus. Uh, we make those decisions in conjunction with them and the campaigns. So, um, you know, th again, it's not an either or. It's never been an either or. It's always been you have to do it all. You have to have a strong grassroots. You have to build up your county parties. You have to. Make sure that your candidates know how to run campaigns. Uh, many of them are first-time candidates. Uh, you need to um, recruit as many candidates po as possible at, at, as, for as many different offices as possible. And, and you need to just, just keep making gains every two years. And, and we have been doing that. Um, we've been flipping seats. Uh, we have been closing margins. Uh, and it is, is it exactly the playbook that not only the Republicans in Tennessee has, have done, but that every party that's in the minority has done. Um, you just take chunks, you know, little bites at a time to move forward. So, you know, looking at the data, 
And looking how we've closed margins for, for, for house races, looking how we've made gains in county commissions and, you know, we're moving forward. And yes, this is a, we've seen by the statewide election, we have taken a hard turn to the right. To get back to relevance is to continue to push in the, all those directions I just described. While we're standing up uh, for Democratic Party values, and we should never let that fall by the wayside either. Um, so, so there's a lot of work to do ahead, but we have been making progress. So it's an exciting, it's actually, an ex- this is going to be a great two years, I think. Uh, you mentioned the one seat pickup in Tennessee for Democrats, which I believe was the first one since 1994. Yeah, 22 years. Yeah. Um, so and 1996. Other races, you kind of closed margins, but weren't able to win the seats. To what extent should the party and your performance and your staff performance be judged on the process versus the results? I mean, I think a lot of people just see wins and losses. Um, What's a fair standard for judging the performance of the Tennessee Democratic Party? You know, I I think if we weren't doing all of the things that you um, explained, plus if uh, most of our county parties weren't working, better than they have been in a really long time. Um, I, I mean, that's really hard to say because, well, okay, so let, so it depends on what the wins and losses are, right? So, you know, the Tennessee Democratic Party sort of gets blamed for, um, for kind of everything that we lose. Um, Including Bredesen and Dean. Right. And so, you know, I, my job isn't to come and, and talk about sort of, and, and to... To talk about the, the I, don't, I don't think it's my job to actually defend the work that we're doing. Um, I think my job is to actually say we are making gains at every level that we haven't in a long time, uh, and and the and the process that we're doing is is actually working, and it's not going to happen overnight. Yes, I think people are dissatisfied by that, and they're frustrated by it. Um, but it's something that I've been saying for four years, and when you you have a plan. I had a plan four years ago, and I presented it. I presented my plan to the executive committee. The executive committee, the 72 people have been voting. Um, they see how much of an improvement that we've made because they are on the inside in terms of we have monthly conference calls. Me or our director of party affairs talks to them about what we're doing on an almost daily basis. Uh, they get to ask questions. They get to interact with their county parties. Um you know, that's all stuff that they see. So, so they know, and that's, that's why I was given another two years. And so, you know, maybe it's a combination of the process and the results. Um, That's kind of what I'm, that's kind of what I think. I think it's a combination of the two. And that by, by tightening the margins in certain races across the state and by building out those county parties, you, you see that as kind of setting the stage for better performances in the win column, 2020, yes, 2022. Exactly. And history has shown that. Again, you know, we look at how the Republicans got to where they are overnight. They didn't get to where they are overnight here. Parties that are in the minority don't get to be in the majority overnight. It's it's historical, right? And they do it by closing the margins and then running, the, running candidates in the same races, either the same candidates in the same races if they're up for it. Um, two or sometimes three times before they win. And um, and demographic changes and demographic shifts also are working in our advantage in the state of Tennessee, too. Um, 
Donald Trump is a great motivator for voters to sort of turn away from uh, from the Republican Party. Um, and 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 it's not just Donald Trump. It's it's actually because elected de- elected Republicans aren't standing up for him. They're putting party over um, the the people of Tennessee, and that more than anything else is what turns people off. Uh, it'd be great if in two years Donald Trump's approval ratings are 10 points lower than they are now in Tennessee, right? That'll be really helpful. But there's no guarantee. So we have to keep keep doing, as a Democratic Party, what we have been doing, uh, which is recruiting as many candidates as possible, building up our base, building up our grassroots, con- creating a connective uh, uh, sort of tissue of county parties um, to do the, the grassroots organizing work that we need to do to to to, to elect more Democrats. So I want to talk a little bit about the Tennessee Rising Program, which was the rural candidate support program, or or just candidate support more broadly across the state. And one of the critiques against you was this notion of focusing on key races versus supporting all the candidates, and we we talked about that a little bit before. But this cycle, I believe you fielded more candidates for office than in a few decades. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a high, high watermark in terms of candidate it, recruitment. Yep. Two decades. Yep. And so by nature, it seems like the result then with the same, re, uh, the same amount of resources and more candidates, some candidates are going to feel like they didn't get enough support. In terms of lessons learned from this past cycle, were there a couple key races that you think you should have focused on more? How do you plan on kind of tailoring that for for next time? Yeah, so when you stretch I, so, yourself so let's, too thin. Yeah, so let me let me take, kind of stay, take a step back to four years ago, right? So four years ago, the biggest complaint from candidates was we are being promised things that um, that are not happening. We're being promised resources, money. So I made it a policy in this office with our political department um, that we would never promise candidates anything, right? We don't do that. We actually explain the process to every single candidate. Um, Now, that doesn't mean – so. and that process is, you know, we will help you with soft support, and I'll explain the difference between that and hard dollar support in a second. But when it comes down to actually putting money into a race – Again, we're not going to make that decision until after the primary, and we're going to make it in conjunction with the House and Senate caucuses, the caucus chairs and their staff and their some of the members that are involved in that, because not all the members are involved in that process of candidate recruitment and candidate training and, and things. So, so that was what, that's what we have been – we've said to all of our candidates, um, and and – to make sure that they understood that from the very beginning. But what we did say to them, and that's where the Tennessee Rising program is born out of this, is that we understand that a lot of you are first-time candidates or a lot of you don't have campaign managers right from the get-go or you can't find campaign managers. So we will act as a a group that will answer any questions that you might have. Um, And then the Tennessee Rising program came out of us being more proactive in reaching out to our candidates not just waiting for them to call us with questions, but us reaching out to them. So, um, and but we but but that program and that program is available to uh, can, to to every candidate. Now, I've heard a critique from a particular candidate that was, 
Well, I never heard of the Tennessee Rising program. That candidate was running in a primary with other Democrats, so we couldn't, you know, really get involved at that point. Um, and then once that candidate won the primary, they were in a district that was about 80% Democratic. So, and they had a good campaign staff. So they didn't really need access to the Tennessee Rising program, right? The Tennessee Rising program is for candidates who uh, really, really need uh, our help. So, um, and and if he had called and said, you know, we want, we want your, we, we need some help on this, right? We would have been there in a second. But um, so anyway, so, so looking at how you break up those two in terms of soft support and hard dollar support. Again, the soft support and I, soft support is, you know, how to, how to write a campaign plan. The soft support is let us help you figure out your win number. The soft support is training you on how to do fundraising. Um, you know, the soft support is sitting, actually sitting down with you, you know, our political department and we hired three additional staffers during this you know, actually went to where candidates were and sat down with them to make that list, that initial list of, you know, their friends and family that they were going to uh, ask for money, right? So, um, and then we also, you know, help them with volunteer recruitment and here's why voter contact is so important. But again, fast forward to, and again, never promising any of the candidates any hard dollar support. We do not do that. But then fast forwarding to... Um, you know, after the primary and sitting down with the House and the Senate caucus chairs and their staffs and saying like, okay, well, let's, let's, what does data, data tells us that these races are the 10 races that we have the biggest chance of winning. And so we're going to put our resources in those. Um, and we make those decisions based on the data that we have available to us. Uh, in those races, those are the races where you've actually seen margins close the most. Because you you mentioned ten target races, I know Holly McCall talked about I believe nine districts mm -hmm. that she would focus on. So it's very similar. Yeah, mm -hmm. there was one. There was at least one. Yeah, but the difference the difference is is she wanted to sort of she said that that recruiting all of those candidates um, would not be a focus, and I think that's a big difference too. And again, it's not an either or. It is you you have to do all of it together, right? You ha because you have to flood the field because that's what the Republicans did and they elected a state senator, you know, in a in a district that encompassed like Dixon and Cheatham County. This was years ago, but when they started coming for us, um, they ran somebody in that district not thinking he would win and he spent $200 and next thing you know, you have Senator Somerville. Right. So like, wow. so, right. And so these are the, these are the reasons why you have to do both of those and you have to be as clear as you possibly can when you're recruiting candidates and discussing this with them. And presumably so you don't have an entire generation of people coming along as voters who are never able to vote for a Democrat on anything lower than governor. And that's why we've seen such an increase in voter turnout this past cycle of Democratic voter turnout in primaries because all of a sudden they've had somebody to vote for. I mean, the arguments that I have had with people in different counties in the last four years, I've had this argument over, and not an argument, but a discussion um, where uh, 
you know, they'll say, well, we're just going to vote for the least egregious Republican. And I'm saying, don't spend your time campaigning to Democrats on that. Spend your time recruiting Democrats to run against them. Um, and, and that is a, a paradigm shift in the way of thinking that, that the Tennessee Democratic Party has really spread out there in the last four years. And it's helping. I want to talk about at least one race that I know of. I believe this was in West Tennessee where Democratic candidate won 49 percent. And so you're really close to winning. Um, I'm sure there are a couple more where, in hindsight, you wish you could have diverted more resources to help them as opposed to some other candidates. Oh, you're talking about Gabby Salinas's race? Right. The state Senate race, yeah, against Brian Kelsey, yeah. Right. And and so kind of going back to lessons learned, what, what do you plan to do differently this next time? Is there a different mechanism for identifying what those close target races should be? So— um, no, I mean, there, there isn't, right? We make, it's all about data, right? It's all about polling. Polling. It's all about how a district is drawn. It's all about um, the, the candidate. It's all about the demographic shifts, right? I, I, I mean, this is, that doesn't change. And again, we made decisions to put resources in races with the House and Senate caucus chairs and their staffs, right? Um, so we put most of our resources, the Tennessee Democratic Party put most of our hard, hard dollar support in Jamie Ballinger's race in Knox County. That was a state Senate race as, as well. Okay. We put a little bit of money into Gabby uh, Salinas's race. The Senate caucus put, did, did kind of put, put a lot of money into both, right? So, um, so I mean, to... to Looking back on it, would I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If I if I knew what the results were going to be, would I have put additional resources of TNDP resources to, into Gabby's race? The answer is yes, right? I mean, there's no. I I would be lying if I said well, the, sure, I said but, the answer is no. Guess. So so I mean, can I guarantee that kind of uh, mistake is not going to be made again? Of course not. Uh, right. Of course but, not. But, but I what really if there, hope not. If there I mean, not, not, really, not, not that I really hope not. We will do everything that we can with the data that we have to make sure that doesn't happen again. But that said, you know, again, this is a marathon and not a sprint. And she got that close this time. Well, what is that going to look like, you know, next time? Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, again, you know, we have to keep this push and have to keep running and running and running um, our candidates and flooding the field uh, to 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 keep getting close, to keep getting closer, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I guess my question was more if there are – it's unavoidable that you'll have, you know, polling. You do your best to make the decision at the time driven by the data. But if you're focusing on 10 races – is there something to be said for at the very end focusing on four, trying to divert the resources to where you really do have the best best chance? Um, and it's kind of money morning it, it, quarterbacking. It, it, no, it's not because it's exactly right. So, um, again, sitting down with the caucuses and trying to figure out where the money is going to be split up. Mm -hmm. Right, it actually does end up being sort of, you know, us putting a. a a larger chunk of money into fewer races. 
right? And maybe the House Caucus putting a larger chunk of money into different fewer races, right? So, gotcha. so, so it's, it's really all, it's not all, moving all ten piece. or the same. It's, it's not. It's all moving, moving parts and moving pieces. Another anecdote, you know, that happened was in 2016 when uh, we were looking at a race in Shelby County. Um, which is held by a Republican for about 30 years. Mm -hmm. And we saw the data that come back from that race and a poll that came back from that race. And we said, holy crap, this is winnable, right? And so we took that to the House caucus and said, we think this is winnable. And we're going to put, we're going to dump a ton of money into that race. And then they put some money into it as well and some paid phone banking. And, you know, everybody kind of was like, okay, well, this is, this looks good. Um, that was not on really anybody's radar at the beginning of the cycle. Like the, Dwayne Thompson had run once before, um, got crushed. But this time around, it, it looked a, little, a lot different. And he ended up winning that race. And, you know, we flipped a, a Republican seat that had been held in, in Democratic hands for, for, um, for 30 years. So it's that kind of, this, you know, those kinds of decisions are made, again, based on the data that we have. And, and you know, we don't always make the wrong decision. Right? Like, um, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's moving forward and, it's, and it's, it's, it's political science. It's not an exact science, right? But yeah. it, it's, it's, it is a science. And so we, we rely heavily on data um, for getting to where we need to be at the end. See, and, and let me just say one more thing. Seeing the um, seeing the margins that have closed in this cycle in some of our state house races, we have a really good idea of moving forward. You know where we're going to go uh, next cycle, um, but other things will pop up, right? So we're not we're not just making those decisions in a vacuum. We are taking information in from many dis many different sources. In your estimation, how detrimental was the Kavanaugh situation to the top of the ticket, specifically Bredesen, I guess? Uh, well, you know, I mean, anecdotally, uh, I think it did depress some of the enthusiasm in terms of uh, volunteerism across the state. But I, th I, don't, I don't think that was what caused... Uh, Governor Bredesen to only get 44%. I think the state is, um, it, it has different demographics than some other southern states. Um, it's taken a hard turn to the right ever since Barack Obama got elected. And we are now, we are still rebuilding back from that. Um, and we're, we're doing it by building up from the grassroots up, right? actually going out and meeting natural con constituencies with the Democratic Party, electing more Democrats at local and county levels, electing more Democrats and running more Democrats at the House and Senate level, um, giving Democrats, uh, you know, being strong on our values and being Democrat, giving, giving Democrats all over the state a, someone to vote for and a reason to come out of the closet, basically, and get excited. And we'll continue to do that. Uh, and again, it doesn't, it's, it, this is not going to happen overnight. And I understand people's frustration with it not happening overnight. But I have been saying for four years, you know, at, and at the start of this, when I had the plan, put together the plan, I know that um, Holly had been saying it uh, as well. This is a 20 to 30 year process. 
and and literally we're we're only like eight years in, ten years in, something like that. Eight years in, um, eight years in. So uh, we're just going to have to keep working and, and realizing we are making a lot of progress. Another thing I wanted to mention. You, as former executive director of Tennessee Citizen Action, your roots really are as a, <laughs> I mean, if anything, kind of a New York, you know, progressive activist, very liberal. Um, but I I've consider seen a Tennessee activist. I've been here for 30 years. <laughs> You've been here for 30 years, but certainly known as being pretty left. I think that's fair to say. But I've seen criticism lately that you're not welcoming progressives, you're not listening to young people, you're going against the will of activists. What's the disconnect there? I mean, what what happened? How is it that you have some people who feel that way? That this struck me as very is very odd knowing you for some time. Oh, yeah. You know, again, um, if that is the feeling of some some folks, then I have to pay attention to that and figure it out. And that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. It kind of, it kind of, um, kind of took me by surprise as well because that that is my uh, my background, and um, I have been pushing for four years uh, that we have to turn our county parties into little little grassroots organizing microcosms, right? Like we have, well, 93 of them now, and we're blessed actually uh, to be a statewide organization that has that many you know, field, field organisms, right? I mean, when I was at Citizen Action, uh, that was the toughest part, right, was to actually find allies that we could bring in that would, from different organizations, we couldn't work with the Democratic Party. Um, uh, sorry, we couldn't, we could work with the Democratic Party, but not in any official capacity. So we, um, you know, trying to find those allied organizations and train them to do grassroots organizing was, was really tough. With our county parties, we have these, uh, these, this, these natural, these, uh, these allies, these organizations that are bylaws, we that are tie tie each other together, right? And so, again, if that's not getting through to everyone and not getting through to every county, uh, then that's something that we need to work on and to to figure out. And that's kind of what, again, what I'm in the process of doing right now is um, is restructuring. So we do this thing called reorganization every two years, and it's when we elect the new county party chairs and officers and executive committee. And, it, and our bylaws state that it has to happen the same time every two years, so at the end of March, early April. And so we are in the process with this feedback of sort of restructuring that um, that process, right? So that the Tennessee Democratic Party takes a much more hands-on approach to uh, to doing sort of like the marketing for reorganization so that we make sure that it invites Democrats in a county from everywhere. And it's not just this insulated process that only a few people find out about in a specific county. And again, I'm, I'm not talking about every county because we have some counties that are firing on all cylinders, right? They get it, right? They are hiring their own staff to do their own grassroots organizing within their county. They are recruiting candidates. They are, 
you know, they've got precinct-based organizing going, and it's, you know, it's, again, firing on all cylinders. But if there's a disconnect with some of the counties that it's not working, uh, then then that's up to me to figure it out. So, again, we're going to take a much more proactive approach to this process of reorganization, including, including setting out expectations from the very beginning that say, if you want to be part of this party, you know, you have to agree that the goal is to elect more Democrats at every level of government, right? Because we've actually had one or two county parties that have said, yeah, I don't like that Democrat that's running, so we're not going to support them, right? Like, no, it's, it's not about liking. It's not a popularity contest. You are taking an oath and a pledge to elect more Democrats, right? So, so we have to actually get everybody on the same page this time moving forward. So I think that's going to go, and, and it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to work 100% of the time. Um, but I think we think that this is a good way to sort of, you know, go into reorganization with the expectation. Oh, and let me just say one more thing that I think is getting getting a little muddled. Um, uh we're also suggesting that each county party adopt a set of what we're calling standardized bylaws. And these standardized bylaws are just that, standardized, right? They're, they're very, very simple places to start with. So it basically says things like, um, you know, you, you as a county party, we, we will hold a meeting, a business meeting every month, right? Well, some county parties out there have been saying, we don't want to hold a business meeting every month. We want to hold a business meeting every three months. That's not how you organize, right? It's, that's not grassroots organizing. Like you have to be in touch with the body on a monthly basis. So, you know, those bylaws are just going to be that simple, that simple structure, and they're going to be standardized. And then, and then each county party can say like, okay, well, we need it to be different in this way. And then they will request, you know, from us like, okay, this is what, how we want to customize it. And we'll go, yeah, you guys know what's going on in your community and your county. So yeah, we'll customize it. But, but you need to check in with us first, right? So there's going to be more one-on-one uh, interaction with our county parties as well. We're going to engage our executive committee. We've got so many new, ex- ex- exciting, and energetic executive committee members. So we're going to engage them to help us with the county parties in their areas um, do that more one-on-one uh, kind of back and forth. So again, as a grassroots organizer, I look at these orga- organizations as um, you know the 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 strength of our organization, rebuilding our organization from the ground up. To answer your question, if it's not getting through to everybody, then that's something that we have to fix in this office. Maybe this is on the same note, maybe not, but I I, want to kind of push you a little bit on kind of one key lesson or two key key lessons. What are a couple things you learned in, in this cycle? And maybe that involves the critique that you got from Holly and others, but what are some lessons and maybe changes that you're going to make going forward. Is there anything? Um, yeah, I think that, um, uh, how do I put this? When I look at the elected officials we have, the candidates we have, and the county parties that we have, um, part of my job is to be the wind beneath their wings, <laughs> right? Is to like lift them up and, and put them forward and, and you know, kind of have them take uh, the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the lessons I think I've learned is that um, people are looking for Democrats in Tennessee are looking for a a, a leader and a spokesperson um, in me, and that I need to be much more out front and um, 
much more visible in the every community in all 95 counties than I have been over the past two years. And uh, so that's one thing. And, and I think, you know, uh, you know, I have said I want to have your back in your community and I will continue to do that. Um, but I think showing up is, is showing up more, uh, is more important, um, than just saying I have your back and I want to help. So showing up is another thing. Uh, and then the other thing is, um, you know, to, we, we actually hired field staff in 2017 and I think their job description was a little muddled. I think their job description was as, as Tennessee Democratic Party field staff out in the community, you know, you, you need to make connections in the community and you need to help our county parties. Uh, and so I think when we hire field staff this year, their direction is you are going to be helping county parties and it's the county parties who should be doing the outreach into their community and building those relationships with the different organizations. Um, and so, so they're going to be more embedded. They're going to be more embedded. Exactly. And, and that goes back to that sort of one-on-one -on -one help that we want to give um, our county parties. And then the other thing is engaging uh, our executive committee more to help as well with that. I um, saw only 41% of the executive committee across the state, I guess, of those 72 gave money to the party last yeah, year. That, yeah. That's a little shocking. Um, it is. And, and I think that, um, you know, that was, it's funny. Maybe they're giving to their, their county party and not the state party, but still a little surprising. Yeah, it is a little surprising. Um, I, I had an exchange with someone I thought was funny. Uh, we we are the party of the people, right? We are the party that believes that no matter who you are, what you look like, where you live, or how much money you make, you should have a seat at the table, right? And the executive committee is a giant table. And, um, you know, the argument was, well, every everybody in the, in the EC should be giving at at least the finance council level, and that's $1,200 a year. Um, my, my push, that's a lot. <laughs> it is. My pushback on that was, no, I agree that everybody on the executive committee should be giving, but if it's only $5 a month that they can do or a one-time gift of 25, you know, that's that's what they can do, right? And or they can help raise money in their community. You know, you can either give or raise that amount of money, right? Like that I can see that being reasonable. Um and and that so yeah, so that too is going to be a, a you know, a request from from me and our treasurer to our executive committee to say, you know, you are part of this body. Um, give, give, give what you can, or help me raise what you can. And um, and a lot of a lot of our EC, I have to say, do give a lot. Do give at the EC at the finance council level a lot of help with the blue cocktail hours that we're having across the state in terms of sponsoring or in terms of um, you know getting other people to come and to give. So uh, again, you know, we're making progress in. At every level, uh, and it's it's just it's a continuation of that progress that we have to that I have to lead and make sure that we continue to do over the next two years. Two final questions in terms of twenty twenty. Woohoo, twenty twenty. We'll have a presidential. Yes. Hopefully that is wind in your sails. I guess. Yeah. You're you're hoping for that. What are some goals for twenty twenty? Concrete. You want to go out there and say you have a certain number of seats you want to flip or gain or margins. What What are the goals? I have eight seats in the state legislature. Uh, okay. Get out of the super minority. Um, and a win a U.S. Senate seat. 
big goals. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, like you it. know, okay. go big or go home. You've been in the chair position for four years. You talk about a 30-year plan, 20-year plan. That seems to be a consensus uh, that the party is eight years into this turnaround. How many more years do you have left personally? <laughs> to do this work? Sure. Um, you know, I can't, I'm not going to answer that question right now. I don't have, I don't have any idea. Um, you know, I knew, I knew I want to continue for another two years because we have been making progress. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, am just going to focus on the next two years. Gotcha. Um, any I, kinda... think th- I think you should ask my husband that question. Like, how many, how <laughs> many like more two. years do you have left to take <laughs> care of everything in the house all the time? Any closing comments from you? Uh, no, just I want to just say to every Democrat out there who is listening, um, let's do this. Let's let's continue the work that we're doing. Um, I am available. I am accessible. You could uh, go to, you can email me at mary at tndp.org. You can uh, call or text me on my cell phone at 615-480-4678. I want to um, answer any questions that you have. I want to come visit you and your communities. And uh, let's let's just go out and have the best two years ever. And thank you, Ben, for having me. And it was it was great. My first podcast ever was with your former Liber Radio co-host Freddie O'Connell on Freddie! City Council, and so now I get the other half of oh, uh, so Liber Radio. When are you going to have us both on at the same time? Oh, so much potential! That's fun. I like it. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast, and best of luck over these next two years. Thank you. <laughs>